morning, everybody. It's nice to have you here tonight on a chilly orange evening. Hopefully, you still have your Bibles open, not to the Isaiah, but to page 859, which is Matthew 6, and we're continuing in our little series thinking about the Lord's Prayer. Now, it's been great that we've been able to think about prayer in a whole bunch of different ways. We're going to pray together a little bit later on, but one of the little things I've been doing in this series is each week bringing a famous historical prayer. Not a one from the Bible, but from people in antiquity. So as we begin tonight, we're going to pray a prayer from a guy called George Herbert, who is a famous poet and also an English clergyman. So let's bow our heads and we'll pray. O Lord, make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Uh, well, there was a, a group of mountaineers. They're at ba- base camp uh, of Everest, uh, just hanging out, preparing, kind of psyching themselves up for the big climb. Uh, when there appeared to be a, t- a tour group who came, you can actually fly up to the base camp. And uh, one of the mountaineers thought, this is a great opportunity for me to show how great I am, uh, what my level of uh, prowess is. And so he uh, went over to them. And uh, said, uh, I saw an old bloke kind of pick up an ice axe. And he said, let me show you how to use that thing properly. And so he spoke to the old bloke for five minutes. This is how you hold it. This is how you swing it. This is what you do if you want to be able to climb up a mountain. Uh, I want to share how I know all of these things because me, I'm about to go to the top. And the old bloke listened patiently and kindly and smiled and asked a couple of questions. And it was all great. And then his little group uh, moved on. The mountaineer was sitting there feeling pretty good about himself until a mate of him of his came over and said, oh, you must have been so excited just then. He said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And the guy said, well, you just spent five minutes speaking to Edmund Hillary, the first man ever to climb Mount Everest. Now, this was a, um, a moment where he realized he'd missed out on a great opportunity. I've tried to work out if this story is true. I've heard it several times. I've looked it up. I haven't been able to verify it. But for me... Uh, It encapsulates that moment that we've all experienced at some point where you are showing off how much you know about something before you realize you are with the real expert and you could have had a moment where you really grew in your knowledge of that thing. Uh, For first century Jews, uh, they had been worshipping their God for well over a thousand years. Uh, They knew how to pray through through the Psalms in the Old Testament, which are, are basically a lot like the songs we sing here now. Uh, They had uh, teachers of the law who taught them how they might worship properly, how they might pray effectively, and they would have thought that they were pretty smart about things. But Then there comes a man called Jesus, who is the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for. And Jesus himself is God incarnate. That is, he's part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as such, that means that he is in perfect communication, both with the Father and the Spirit. Jesus is the one that understands prayer perfectly because he is the one who is always in community with God, his Father, and with his Spirit. He's the Everest expert on the matter. And So as we got uh, partway through uh, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, here is this moment where for Jewish people they would have been asking, uh, can I actually listen? Am I going to tell this guy what's what or can I actually learn something here? And it's a challenge for us as well because as... uh, was mentioned earlier, uh, we can feel very familiar with the Lord's Prayer. 
I know enough. I don't need to be taught anything. But are we willing to sit under that Everest expert? So last week we took a closer look at two things. Uh, we had a, a little bit of a, a look at two things we don't want to be. Maybe the, this clicker doesn't work, in which case you guys can click. Uh, we looked at they're called not to be a hypocrite. Who wants to impress other people? We, who wants to think about what we're doing with the people around us when really prayer at the beginning and the end is speaking to an audience of one? It's a vertical thing, not a horizontal thing. We also thought about not really speaking hollow words. It's easy to get caught up in a rhythm. It, maybe it's about the more I pray, God's going to listen to me, or if I say things in the right order, then that's a good prayer. But instead, we remembered that God is a person who has a heart for you. He loves you and he loves to listen to you. So much so that God actually knows what it is that we need and what are we going to pray for before we pray for it. But in his love for us, God loves for us to be part of the mechanism of him bringing about his sovereign will over the world. He invites us, just like a parent might invite their kid to help make dinner, even though the kid makes a lot of mess, so that they feel like they're part of things. God calls us into his kingdom work uh, through prayer. And knowing this, we pray with confidence and joy because this God loves to listen to us. So as we kick off this week, we're really spending all of our time in just one verse in verse 9. The first thing that we get from this uh, passage uh, is a challenge right at the beginning. As he's helping us understand the prayer is about to teach, Jesus says, therefore you should pray these exact words. No, he doesn't say that, does he? He says, therefore you should pray like this. It's a good thing that we gather together, that we might learn the Lord's Prayer and that you maybe you prayed it at home as you're growing up as a kid. Uh, but it is a, a framework. It's a means by which we understand how to communicate with God, uh, what we understand about Him, what we understand about ourselves and what we understand about the world around us. That's why if you were thinking that maybe six weeks is a long time for uh, five or so verses, we realize there's a lot to actually unpack as we think about what Jesus is really getting at. And so today we have another three points that we're going to think about. And that is, see, it's going to be a battle between me and the clickers. I can, it's, the clicking is working now. Oh, you're doing it again. Seriously, bro. Okay, there we go. Uh, the good father in a good place who has a good name. We're going to start with the father. Now, the... Uh, I have to be honest with you, two of the most stressful Sundays for me in the year are Father's Day and Mother's Day. On one side, it's a really exciting time. It's great that we can gather together and we can celebrate maybe the parents in our lives who have helped shape us, who have made us the people that we are. But at the same time, Father's and Mother's Day are really fraught times. Both my father and my stepfather died within three months of each other. And so for the last two or three years, a Father's Day is a time when I remember this great loss that I have. But I also speak to other people for whom it's, it's difficult because they've never had the opportunity to have a child through different circumstances. And of course, all of the stats tell us that more and more people than you would think uh, live in a relationship where they have some kind of tension with their parents. A father or a mother is not giving the kind of relationship that they would like to have. And so with this enlightened uh, concept in the 21st century, we, we become more aware of how these relationships shape who we are and we want to be thoughtful when we're talking as Christians about God as this loving father. Is that like the father who was so nasty to me or is this the thing that I've longed for but I can't be myself? 
but for all of the complications that it might bring us, it also points to something uh, deep and clear, and that is that we long to have deep and meaningful relationships with people, and that a father-son or a mother-son, or father-daughter, mother-daughter, is one of those deep and intense things. That's why it's so important to us. That's why it's such a powerful thing for us. And this is the kind of vision that Jesus is saying, that God is not just a, a somebody who we feel deeply emotionally about, but he is the good kind of father that we long for, somebody who is invested, who cares, who loves for us, who is always looking out for us. This is the kind of father that Jesus is speaking about when he teaches the disciples to pray to God as father. Of course, there's a sense in which God is the father of, of everybody. God is the one who created and sustains the universe, and in that sense, he's the God of everyone. But in the Bible, that's not the way that God is spoken of as Father. In your Old Testament, you'll find 15 different occasions where God is spoken of as Father. We read one of them from Isaiah. And always it's about a, a particular covenant relationship between God and his chosen people. I've set you aside, you are mine, I will love you, I will care for you, I will make sure that you prosper. But what's even more exciting is in the New Testament, as we see this good news for Israel become good news for anybody who trusts in Jesus, <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we see 245 occasions in the New Testament where God is spoken like this, that if we put our trust and faith in Jesus as Lord and Saviour, then we have this new relationship. Now look with me at what Romans 8 says. There we go. Uh, for you didn't receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That's a, like a daddy almost. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we might also be glorified with him. Friends, to call God as Father it might be just the first sentence of the prayer you've learned off by heart. But at its heart is to recognize God as a good father. That you are in an intense and an impersonal relationship and that God is committed to you. And this is something that as Christians we may not recognize as really uh, unique in the, in the religious world. For many religions as they pray to their God, it is something that is impersonal and you don't know what the response is going to be. For example, in Islam, God is by nature unknowable. Humans are fallen creatures and God is all the way out there in the ether. And so we can't really know. All we can do is pray and hope and follow our, our, our different prayer rituals and maybe God will answer the way that we want, but how dare we say anything else? Or you could look at the Greek gods of antiquity. If ever you wanted to get like a, a first century or a, a BC soap opera, that's what their story is. Uh, for the, the old Greek gods, uh, they were capricious and angry and always fighting with each other. And if they answered the humans in any way, it was usually to use human beings to achieve their ends. Uh, they were nasty people. All across the re religious world, uh, prayers are some ways that we earn a re relationship with God or we don't know how God answers or maybe God will abuse us through them. But in the Christian gospel, we see something unique that our God chooses to reveal his nature and his character to us. We don't know him because we reach up and we can grab on by our own means, but that God the Father delights in communicating to us through his 
prophets and through his word in the Bible and through his son, Jesus Christ. And then God uh, calls us to speak back to him and to do so confidently, knowing that God delights in answering prayers and longs to do good things for us. God is a good father. And even better, God is a father who is in heaven. I don't know if you ever had that uh, competition when you were in school, you know, my dad is better than your dad. Uh, I, uh, I always felt like I'd, I could win this competition because uh, my parents broke up just before I was born. So I had two of everything when I was growing up. And so I had a city dad and a country dad. I could crush you uh, with my card set. Uh, your dad works in the corporate world. That's great. My dad works in advertising. He wears a suit every day. My dad's better than your dad. Oh, your dad is handy. That's great because my other dad works on a farm. He can strip and reassemble a tractor. My dad is better than your dad. Uh, It was a competition I felt confident in because when you grow up often, we think that our parents are these indestructible people. They are so impressive. Dad is the one when the remote falls down the back of the couch. Dad lifts up the couch with one arm so I can crawl underneath, grab that, and I can find that 50 cents that was lost there two weeks ago as well. Dad is the one that has answers to all of my second grade maths questions. Dad is the one who says yes to chips when mum's away. Dad is superpowered. But now I'm the dad. So when I lift the couch, my kids get the remote and maybe the 50 cents. And then I go and complain to my wife about how my back now hurts. I am the one who answers the second grade maths questions and then goes on to Google to make sure that I got them right because I can't do second grade maths anymore. I am the dad who realizes that as much as I thought my dad was superpowered, I realize we aren't that powered because we are all little human creatures. But to know that we have a father in heaven to whom we pray is an immense comfort. As we know it, in our reality, that no matter how in control I might feel as a dad, all of a sudden a pandemic comes along and I'm reminded, along with 7 billion other people, that I'm fragile. I can't really control anything in my world, not even how much toilet paper I have. Uh, The pandemic can fix that for me. But we have a God who is in control. Uh, I've mentioned once before in the sermon that one of my all-time favorite books is uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams, also a great Uh, radio series and my favorite part of it is there is a cool torture device in it that sounds kind of nasty about me doesn't it that's my favorite thing Uh, it's called the ultimate perspective vortex and it's a machine that criminals get plugged into and for only one second what the ultimate perspective vortex does is it says i'm going to show you the true perspective of how unbelievably massive the whole universe is and as you get a perspective that is bigger and bigger and bigger and harder to comprehend Then you're going to zoom back into a spot that is smaller and smaller and smaller. And on a microscopic dot, on the side of a microscopic dot, there's a little arrow that says, you are here. The idea of which is the human brain just snaps at that point. If When we really understand, we sit under the stars and we think about how gargantuan our universe is and how insignificant we are that we couldn't handle things. Interestingly, I found out it's not just in a fiction book. There's an an actual thing you can Google about this called the overview effect. And this is something that only 574 people have ever experienced. Can anybody guess what brings all these 574 people together? Didn't think so. Uh, They are all astronauts. They are people who have broken our atmosphere 
and uh, the overview effect is a thing that happens to astronauts that as they fly away, they look back on the world and they realize that 7 billion people and the whole of human history has happened on this one blue ball and that they are staring back over and above the whole of human history. Every human being has lived and loved and cared and died on that thing and they are floating above it. We are born. We go to school. You get a job, then you get a full-time job. Then maybe if you're lucky, you get married, you buy a house, you grow old and eventually you die. And all of this thing happens in maybe just a small part, one little uh, corner of this globe that we're on. It's mind-bogglingly amazing for astronauts to look back and see this. But how much more mind-boggling is it to consider that we have a God that sits not only just above our planet, but above all of the universe. Our God is the God in heaven above who looks not only at the universe, but also throughout time as well. Every supercluster, every galaxy, every solar system, every planet, everything on that planet, God is the one who stands above it all. And furthermore, he looks throughout the whole of time like a blanket laid out before him. Douglas Adams is right that we can't truly comprehend how mind-numbingly, earth-shatteringly big our God is when we consider how the universe was made. But this is really what puts prayer into perspective. When we consider that the God that made all of this, that stands above all of this, is the same God who we have the honor and the privilege of being able to speak to one-to-one. That instead of just creating life, winding up the watch and letting it to run by itself, that God is invested in his creation, that he loves to hear from us and that he delights in answering our prayers. And how much more amazing that it's not just a formal relationship, but that we call him Father and he treats us like his children. It's just the first line of a prayer that we know well, but as we speak about our Father in heaven, we have the most intimate of things, that we have a personal relationship like that between a father and a son and the most infinite at the same time that we have a father who is in heaven over all things intimacy and the infinite wedged right next to each other not only that but God has shown us through the personal work of his son Jesus that he's stronger than even death itself he's shown us that he is calling us into a new relationship that isn't just abound by the world that we're in, this tiny dot that says that you are here, but he offers us eternity and eternal sunrise. And to pray that to our Father in heaven is to know that God has a sense of vision and a sense of perspective that is greater than anything we can imagine. That while we know we get caught up in the thing that is stuck in our own life, our day-to-day, that God sees the bigger picture even when we don't, and God can answer our prayers in ways that we can't even imagine. And this is why it's appropriate that his name would be honoured as holy, or hallowed be your name as we know in the prayer. This is the first request actually in the Lord's Prayer. And in a deep sense, this is the thing that holds the rest of it together. Kevin DeYoung says that, Praying God's name, uh, that pray, praying that God's name be hallowed doesn't mean that God's name needs to be holier as if it's not important, we need to make it bigger. Glorifying God isn't using a microscope, making small things look bigger, but it's using a telescope, bringing into view things that are unimaginably big. 
if you visit the garden chain flower power online, that's what you do when you're in your 40s. I have no interesting life anymore. Uh, you'll find that there are 13 different Buddhas that you can buy online to stick in your back garden. I have family members. I didn't grow up in a Christian family, and so I have family members who into this kind of stuff. Uh, one family member had a nice fountain out the back in her garden, and so she bought a Buddha to put next to that. Uh, then I noticed when you go inside her house in the kitchen, there is a Manika Nico. Do people know what that is? That's the waving cat that you see in restaurants. You know that one? I love the Manika Nico. Perpetual high fives. Uh, and that is an object of worship for people who are hoping from luck from the Manika Nico. You go into my family members' a hallway and there's a Hindu Diwali uh, up on the wall, a beautiful tapestry. And with all of these things going on, she's also the person likely to have a cross around her neck, a gift from uh, when she was confirmed as a kid. Now, when you see this member of my family, you see really, I think, a lot of the modern mindset to religion. A religion is a therapeutic option, option there to make me feel better as a person, to care for me in different ways. And so if there is something that a particular religion can do to make me feel better as a person, then I can embrace that. Uh, but if Buddha is just sitting in my garden and isn't helping me, that's great. I can swap Buddha out for some crystals and then maybe they do something therapeutic. In this mindset, God's name is not something that is hallowed where we see God as holy and separate and set apart and standing above the glory of our creation and caring for us. Instead, God is just something that we can wear around our neck and then we can stick it in our pocket and then maybe put God in a drawer when we're done. And this is why it's so vital that when we pray to God that we see God for who he truly is, that he is holy and set apart in beautiful ways. And we see this picked up in Colossians 1. And this is what verses 16 and 17 say as, as talking about Jesus as, as God. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things and by him all things hold together. Coming to God in prayer is changing our perspective when we acknowledge that God's perspective is one that goes throughout the whole of the universe and throughout the whole of eternity. And knowing that God is in heaven is a reminder that his sense of perspective, both of the universe we live in and the world that we're going through and the struggles that we have, this one is far greater than ours. And knowledge of these two things drives us to the petition that all people would recognize God as holy. Hallowed be his name. Our, our glory, our desire, our hope is that God's name would be holy for all people. So how do you apply something like this? There's a sense in which really the application for this whole series could be the same application, that is that we should pray more and we should pray more confidently. But I want to tease out a couple of simple things as we finish up. The first is, friends, that as you pray this week, I would really love for you to consider what it is to pray to God as your Father. Again, if you have a difficult relationship with your father or maybe you have a difficult relationship with your children, that might mean setting apart those things and considering what it is to have a God who is unswervingly, absolutely, undeniably for you, who has good things for you and longs to care for you. Someone who has a heavenly perspective and wants to be able to look down on your life in ways that you can't. It's been a, a bit of a kick in the pants for me this week as I, I've thought about this. I've, I've got four kids. 
I try and pray with them regularly. I try and have different rhythms in my life. Uh, but I realize that uh, as a you know, professional minister, it's very easy for me to become a mechanical in my prayers. I do these things at certain times. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm engaging. I have other things that I'm worrying about, and I do it out of a desire rather than a sense of, a sense of relationship. But to know that God is my Father, that he loves me and he longs to be in a relationship with me is challenging. I was reminded this week as I spoke to an old friend of mine on the phone. And as I chatted to him, I realized uh, we could not chat for two years, but every time we chatted again, it was like we'd never finished. That there was nothing I could talk about that was too important or too, or too little importance for him to be interested and invested in what I'm doing. Because we love each other. We've known each other for 30 years. How much greater is it that we can speak to God as a father and to consider what that means as we come to him in prayer this week? But secondly, you might be one of those people that really struggles to have that transcendent picture of God who is bigger than us. And I want to encourage you this week, if that is you, there are a couple of simple ways you can fix that. The first is I'd encourage you to read a psalm if you really struggle. The psalms are like a theology slash songbook in the Old Testament. And they have some wonderful pictures of God and who he is. But my all-time favorite chapter for this is actually Isaiah 40. So as we finish off, I'm going to pray for us. Firstly, some words from Isaiah 40 and then some other prayers. And then we're going to be done. So let's bow our heads. Let's quiet our minds for a second and think about this great picture of the God who loves us. Let us pray. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Jacob, why do you say in Israel, why do you assert, my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. We thank you, Lord, that we can call you Father that you have adopted us as your children and that you care for us in the most intimate and personal and relational way. Help us, Lord, as we come to you in prayer to understand what it is to call you our Father, to know that you are in heaven, that you stand above all of creation, and yet as an infinite God, you are still intimate in your relationship with us. Pray, Lord, that as we consider this, that we might see you as holy. And I pray that in your grace and mercy, you might use us to declare your hallowed name in orange and into all the earth. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name.